Well, let me get you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. We'll look at verses 1 through 10. And this is kind of started a series, so to speak, uh, back a few weeks ago. And it was what we call the travel narrative. If I had been clever, I would have come up with a, a, with a new name for it. I would have said, On the Road with Jesus. That's what I think that's really a, would have been a catchy title for it. But the thing was, was that I had a really strong suspicion that I would never be able to finish this, pass, this little section in Luke. And, uh, and I'm sure that you're glad that I haven't been able to finish it because that means your new pastor is coming. But anyway, but... Uh, so, but I want to draw your attention to this passage in Luke chapter 19. Jesus, as I said, he was on his way to Jerusalem. And I, I was trying to think early this morning at 8.30 service, I'm thinking that it was supposed to take about two days or so to walk from Jericho to Jerusalem. And uh, it was going to be all uphill all the way from Jericho to Jerusalem. Anyway, so let me, let me read this passage to you. You can follow along in your Bible. He entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was of small stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, that is the Jewish people that were there, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Remember when in Sunday school, when you were a kid in Sunday school, every, every you know, you had these departments, and then you had this Sunday school classes, and every department had a piano in there. Every piano had a, someone to play it, and so part of going to Sunday school is a little kid was singing songs, and there were certain songs that we would sing all the time. I know there was one of them that we would sing is, I may never, let's see, I may never ride in the cavalry, I may never march in the infantry, I may never fly over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. You remember that one? I bet nobody sings that anymore, but that was one of them that we sang. And probably, though, the, the one that we kids liked most was Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree, and this is where we really liked it. And he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. And that was my favorite song as a little kid in Sunday school. We probably don't sing that anymore. I know after I got big and started noticing what went on big church, as in after I got old enough not to go to sleep during the song service in big church, I never heard the song again. I'm not making any suggestions, Alan, but, you know, you might want to sing that one sometime in here. 
But you know what? The story behind the song is beautiful. And that's what our passage is about. We read about a wee little man. And let me just tell you a few little thoughts that I have on this. And first of all, we are confronted with a despised little man. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, a chief tax collector. We might call him the commissioner of taxes in Jericho. And he had become very rich by doing that. Now, this made him absolutely hated among his Jewish friends. Zacchaeus was Jewish. We can tell that by its name. And we also have to understand the Jewish feeling toward paying taxes to Rome. You know, you may remember there's a place in, in the New Testament where Jesus is asked a question by Jewish religious leaders. And they said, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? What do you think? You remember how Jesus handled that. He just said, hand me a coin. And he held up the coin, and it was a Roman coin. He said, whose image is on here? They said, well, Caesar's. He said, well, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give to God what belongs to God. But it just irked the Jewish people at that time to have to pay taxes to Caesar because that implied to them that they were under Caesar's thumb, and they didn't want to admit it. As a matter of fact, there was a time whenever Jesus told them, he said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And the Jewish leader's response to that was, we are the seed of Abraham and we have never been in bondage to anyone. Hmm. I think they forgot a few periods in their history because they were. You see, they hated that. They hated Roman domination. They hated giving their little taxes to that nasty government. There was nothing that they liked about it. And therefore, someone like Zacchaeus was going to be hated simply because of his job. But get this. They hated him not just because he was a Jew collecting for the Roman government. Guess what? He paid to do this. Now today, in our society, it's much different. Like we have a Russ County tax collector and assessor. We elected her to that office. She was voted in. She ran for the office. She wanted to do that. She ran. We voted her in. That's not the way it was done with Zacchaeus. He paid to get the job. What you would do back then was that if there was, say, there was a certain sector that you wanted to be a tax collector in, you could go to whoever your superiors were, whoever the superiors would be, and say, I want this sector. I'll collect taxes there, and if you give, let me do that, I will bring in this many dollars in, in money. And the highest bidder got the job. And so, not only was Zacchaeus taking up taxes for the enemy government, he was paying to do it. And another thing was he was a crook. Because whenever you have a taxation system like that, it leaves things wide open for corruption. Because if you were not, if someone was not assigned a certain amount of taxes they had to pay because of their income, the tax collector would say, I want this much from you. Because he was going to take his cut because Let's say if he told the government he was going to pay them a million dollars in taxes, well, he wanted to get like a million and a half dollars, and he could put that 500000 in his own pocket. So it was a corrupt system. And so people didn't like him at all. I doubt that he had any friends in Jericho. You know, probably his kids didn't even like him. 
But you know something? Zacchaeus didn't have many friends, if any. But on that day, he met somebody that loved him. You know, there's a guy that we really don't ever talk about too much. And as a matter of fact, he wrote a thousand hymns, roughly speaking. He was a prolific hymn writer. He was also a Baptist evangelist. Uh, he was born back in 1871, and he died about 1965. He lived to be as old as a tree. Anyway, he was saved at the age of 12 in a Methodist revival meeting. He ended up getting married, accepted a call from God to preach the gospel. And then his wife just kind of wigged out and told him one day whenever he came back from preaching in a revival meeting, she said, I'm tired of being a preacher's wife. I'm through with this. And she had packed up her clothes and got their only child, their daughter. And they got on a train and went to the other side of the country. And he was at the train station watching them leave. He went into a deep state of depression. And because, you know, how would you feel if your wife told you something like that? You were trying to do God's work, and then she seemed to hate you because of it. She didn't, by the way, she didn't live for very long after that. But anyway, but uh, he even contemplated suicide for a while, really thought about just ending it all, but he didn't. And God brought him back after about five years of just being depressed and feeling lonely and feeling rejected. God brought him back, and he wrote another hymn. And it's the one that we still have in, our, in these hymn books we have right here. Hymn writer is Charles Weigel. And he wrote this song. I'm not going to sing it, but I'm going to give you the words. I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus since I found in him a friend so strong and true. I would tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something no other friend could do. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. And I think that would be true in the case of Zacchaeus. No one ever cared for him like Jesus did. And as a matter of fact, on that day in Jericho, probably Jesus was the only one who did love him. But at the time, that was all that counted, didn't it? There's going to be times that people are going to reject you. Everybody in here, if you live long enough, there's going to be someone that hates you, someone that would wish that you would de were dead, someone that hates the very ground that you walk upon. But it's okay because there is someone who does love you, and that someone is the one that counts. He, so he, was, he might have been a despised little man, but he was a little man that was loved by Jesus. He was also a seeking little man. Zacchaeus knew that Jesus was coming to town. And as I've said so many times, Jesus was always the biggest show in town. You know, people in Jericho knew he was coming. And I guess they heard it somewhere or another. They heard it by the grapevine or whatever. But they knew that he was coming to Jericho. The people began crowding out into the street. Many people just wanting to see him. In other words, what does he look like? You know, what, what might he say? What might he do? And just to be able to get a glimpse of him and to be able to say to someone, I saw Jesus of Nazareth walk by, that would be something. Back years ago, uh, my wife and I were on vacation and we went to Austin and we were on the Capitol grounds just looking at all kinds of stuff. And guess who comes walking down the sidewalk? 
Governor Bill Clements. Do you remember him? No? Okay, well, I did. Anyway, and I saw him. And we were walking, I was walking one way, and he was walking the other way down the sidewalk. And as we came close, we talked to each other. I said, hi, and he said, hi, and we kept going. <laughs> but I can say that I saw the governor. I did. I got to see him. I got to say hi to him. He said hello to me. You know, that was something I just felt like that was something. It was something I didn't expect to see, but I got to see the governor. So there are people that probably just want to see Jesus just to say that they got to see him. And Zacchaeus wanted to see him. He wanted to find out what he looked like. Maybe draw an opinion about what he did. Maybe he thought Jesus might pull one of his tricks and heal somebody or do something really neat like that. What prompted Zacchaeus really to want to see Jesus? What was really behind all of that? Well, I kind of think that the Lord had a hand in that. You know, we can read in Acts chapter 10 about a military man named Cornelius. He was someone who was seeking. He was seeking for God, and one day an angel appeared to him and told him, he said, you send some men down to Joppa and you look for a guy named Simon Peter. Because, see, God was seeking Cornelius. Let's follow along with a man named Saul of Tarsus. And you can read about this in Acts chapter 8. And he was on his way from Jerusalem to Damascus. And what he was going to do was to find Christians. And he was going to tie them up and bind them up and bring them back as prisoners. And all of a sudden, something happened. Some people have said that his conscience was bothering me about all the ugly things that he had done. I don't think so, Tim. No. He was on a mission. And he was going to do whatever he could to stop Christianity until there was someone that had different plans for him. You see, Saul wasn't seeking Jesus as much as Jesus was seeking Saul. And whenever he knocked Saul down on the ground, and, Saul, and, and he said, Saul, Saul, why do you kick against the ox goads? He said, who are you? <laughs> you see, God is the one who starts the seeking. You can read in Acts chapter 16 about a woman named Lydia. This was, takes place during the time in which the gospel was beginning to spread even into Europe. The Apostle Paul, who is no longer a persecutor but a preacher. The Apostle Paul, Silas, his comrade, also Luke were going along. They cross over into Greece. And one of their first stops is a town called Philippi. And, and so on a Sabbath day, they went out looking for a place to pray beside the river because that was something that some Jews would do, especially if there was no synagogue right there. And they would be able to go and find prayer. And sure enough, they found a group of women that were praying. Paul and Silas go over there. They begin talking to these ladies. One of them was a woman named Lydia, and she was a seller in purple cloth, which was quite a thing to be able to be involved in. And so it says that Saul, Paul began speaking to them, and it said that the Lord opened her heart to what was being said by Paul. Who was doing the seeking? Once again, we see that it was Jesus. Jesus is the first one to seek. That's part because seeking is a part of his mission. He comes to seek and to save the lost. Be glad that Jesus sought you. 
And then we see this other thing in here about a little man that was found. Don't you know that Zacchaeus was surprised whenever Jesus just stopped right there in front of this tree? I think that he would have been. I know I would have been. Because think of the things that goes through your mind. And I heard a preacher come up with this, so I didn't come up with these three points here. But it was just a really good way of illustrating it. You know, think of the thoughts that went through his mind. Jesus walks along and then just stops right there in front of the tree and looks at him. And Zacchaeus thinks, he sees me. <laughs> and then what were the first words out of, first word out of Jesus' mouth? What was it? Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus said, he knows me. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> he knows who I am. He knows what I am. And then Jesus said, come down right now because I have to be at your house today. And the next thought that would go through Zacchaeus' mind is, he wants me. He wants me. Despite knowing who I am, he still wants me. You know, and his next thought was, I want him. You know, uh, he came out of that tree in a hurry. Now, the sycamore trees then were not like sycamore trees here. But by the same token, I'll always remember this. If any of you have ever heard the old preacher named Robert G. Lee or R.G. Lee, I heard him in a sermon say this. He said, Zacchaeus came out of that sycamore tree so fast that he peeled all the bark off of it. So much so that there ain't been no bark on a sycamore tree since then. But I'll tell you what, he did come down, didn't he? Let me tell you, Zacchaeus never realized in this frenzied effort to see Jesus that the Lord had already laid claim on him. Don't you know that Zacchaeus was thinking, is this too good to be true? No, it isn't. It's not too good to be true. I know that there's times, and I know I've mentioned this before, that there have been some people that thought they were too wicked to go to, to, go to heaven that they were too vile in order for God to show them any mercy, but that's not the way it is. We can't go so low that God cannot call our name, and we hear it. Another thing we see that he was a changed little man. You know, Zacchaeus was eager to know Jesus Christ, and he was eager to make reparations. We know that he was changed because the first thing we see is this, is he was ready to let go of what had been his God before. And the thing is, is what had been his God? Obviously, it was his money. It says he was rich. He was very well off, and that was his money. And the thing was, was that he realized, I guess, because thank God by, for his convicting spirit, he realized that there was no room in his life for the Lord God and for the other God that he had been serving for all this time. He was going to let go of that. And that's what we have to do. And that's what we do whenever we realize that, that our long, our, we want our life to belong to Jesus. We don't want our life to belong to any other kind of God that we come up with. And another thing is, is that he was ready to repent. Listen to what Zacchaeus is saying. He said, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone or taken anything by extortion... And the language that we see here in Luke's account was this. If I have taken anything by extortion, and yeah, I have, I'm going to pay it back at the rate of 
You know what we call that? We call that repentance. Understand this. There is more to faith than walking down an aisle on a Sunday morning. There's more to faith than just filling out a card. There's more to faith than just saying, okay, I'm going to start going to church. Real faith is always going to involve repentance. Because until we repent, we are showing that we really don't believe what God says is necessarily true for us. If there's things in our life that God says that are wrong, when we repent, we say we let go of these things, we walk away from these things, because I believe what God says about right and wrong. That's what repentance is always going to bring about. I know I've told you this before, but the friend of mine that, that I worked with, and I'll go on and tell you this story one more time. This is probably the last time you hear this story. But anyway, it was a guy that I worked with at Central Freight Lines while I was a, a seminary student. His name was Ed Ray Brown. And, and Ed Ray was a hardworking guy. He was a, had a great personality. I don't see how anyone could have not liked him. But now, man, whenever I met him, he was a woman chaser. And uh, he was just sorry. I mean, that's all I could say for him. And, uh, but the Lord got a hold of him and saved him and just turned his life inside out. And I remember one time we were doing some work loading a trailer and Ed Ray dropped a piece of freight that was not supposed to be dropped. And I remember Ed Ray let out an expletive and said, bleep, bleep. And then he looked at me and he pointed his finger at me and he said, you know, he said, I've got to quit saying that. Because he realized there was this repentance that was always going to go on in his life. Or like the time that he told me that he said, Joe, because we worked nights, we'd get off after midnight. And he said, Joe, he said, now that I've been saved, I have to find a new way to get back home. He said, because the shortest way for me to get back home is to go through the Turtle Creek area. And he said, whenever I do that, he said, those women out there, and there was, it was known for prostitution. He said, those women are out there, and they see me, and they wave at me. They wave at me. Ed Ray, you have to understand, he came out of deep, out of deep south Louisiana. And he said, Joe, he said, when I see them waving at me, he said, I begin to lush. <laughs> and he said, and the Lord says, it ain't right to lush. He said, so I found a different way to go home. You see, and this was a thing that he was wanting to do because he realized God's way was the right way. When we see the Bible say to believe and then we see it say to believe, to repent, they're talking about one and the same act, really. And then we see something in here, one little thing. It's just about what I would call a classless kingdom. Jesus ushered in a new kind of a kingdom. There was no class of people that were excluded from that kingdom. Zacchaeus' past did not determine his future. Thank God is the same for us. It's interesting that the religious snobs of that day, how did they look at him? He was a sinner. And whenever Jesus said, I must go to your house today, they said, look, he is going to eat or stay at the house of a sinner. Now, here's something that's interesting. Whenever Jesus, whenever one person asked, religious leader asked Jesus, what was the greatest commandment? Jesus said, well, how do you read it? And he said, well, you're supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And the second is like to the first, love your neighbors yourself. Jesus said, that's right, do that and you will live. It's interesting that the, the religious leaders of that day believed that they did that. But they didn't want anybody else to do it. Isn't that odd? 
You see, that's not the kind of a kingdom that Jesus came to initiate and to start. One man put this story this way and kind of summed it up probably better than what I, I have done. He said, Zacchaeus was a sawed-off little social disaster with a big bank account and a crooked job. But Jesus welcomed him aboard anyway. He became a peculiar treasure, not because of his money, not because of his curiosity, not because of his inventiveness, but because of God's grace. As Jesus stopped and called your name, do you want him? Well, he wants you. Let's pray together. Now, our Lord, we thank you for your great mercy and your great love. And Lord, we thank you for these, th these pictures that we see of Jesus that tell us about how he treated people, how he related people, and what he did. And Lord, we just, we have to contribute our salvation simply to your grace in sending your son and convicting our hearts and leading us to repentance and to faith and trust in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, I pray that you would go with us as we leave this place and that you would be speaking to our hearts so that we would, that we would want to hear your voice, Lord, and that we would want to be your children doing what you tell us to do. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy once again. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.